Well, good morning, beloved. Good morning. See everyone here this morning. Looking good as usual. This time we are turning our attention to the preaching and teaching of God's Word, so I want to invite you to open your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Colossians this morning, chapter 2. Today will actually be part 2 of the sermon we began last week, titled Complete in Christ. And so, by way of review, turn to Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. That is where we will begin, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. And I'll uh, begin by reading our text once all the way through, and then after we can do a, a review of some of what we covered last week. I had some additional thoughts I added, and then we can get into our actual text for today. So let's get right into it. We are in Colossians chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 8 all the way down to verse 15. This is the reading of God's living and infallible word. Paul writes, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith. In the working of God who raised them from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which were hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross." When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Amen. These are some great, great verses. Um, all throughout this second chapter of this epistle, Paul tells the believers in Colossae why it is that they do not need what the false teachers are bringing into the church. He tells them why they do not need verse 8 of chapter 2, vain philosophy. Why they do not need, verse 16, legalism. Why they do not need, verse 18, mysticism. And why they do not need asceticism in verses 21 to 23. None of these things are needed. It is not Jesus plus anything. It is not Jesus minus anything. To have Jesus is to have everything that you need. And what Jesus accomplished on Calvary's cross and in his resurrection is what no other human being throughout the pages of history could have ever accomplished. Because in order to do what Jesus accomplished, he had to be both the Son of God and 
the Son of Man. And so this morning, what I want to do is review our first two points that we covered last week in verses 9 through 12, and then we'll move on to points number 3 and 4 with the rest of our time today. So um, we began last week with point number 1 and the complete sufficiency we have in Jesus Christ. The complete sufficiency we have in Jesus Christ, and you'll find these on the back of your bulletin. And in contrast with the false teachers that deceive us and denies Christ's full deity and humanity, Paul characterizes faithful teaching which edifies us and exalts Jesus Christ as both fully God and fully man. Please notice verse 9, as once again, these are some of the most definitive statements that we have in all of Scripture of Christ's deity as well as his humanity notice what paul says he writes in verse 9 for in him in christ all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form that word for fullness is the word play roma in the greek and it means to fill to capacity or to completion and what paul is saying here is that all not some all the fullness of deity dwells in jesus christ all the fullness of God's essence, God's character, God's nature, God's mercy, God's grace, God's power, all of it dwells in Jesus Christ. The false teachers claim Jesus was just one of these lesser spirit emanations that had come from God, but scripture declares all the fullness of deity dwells in Christ. Let me Again, share just some of the verses to support this. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says of Christ, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. What about John 1, verse 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And how about Titus 2, verse 13, as Paul says plainly here, he writes, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You don't get any clearer than that. It's plain as day. Our great God and Savior is who? Jesus Christ. And so we could go on and on and on all afternoon. Oh, here's another claim. I'm sure you've heard this before. Well, Jesus himself never claimed to be God. You ever heard that before? Jesus never said that. Well, um, then what did Jesus himself say in John 10, 30? I and the Father are one. He's claiming to be equal with the Father. Or what about uh, John 14? You have in John chapter 14, the Apostle Philip saying, Lord, um, you're always talking about the Father and praying to the Father. Just, just show us the Father and, and that will be enough for us. And what does Jesus say to Philip in John 49? He said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. 
How can he say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And so, back to Colossians chapter 2, this is one of the most blessed passages then that we have in all of Scripture. As Paul begins verse 9 by really climbing to the highest peak of Mount Everest, as he plants the flag on the full deity of Jesus Christ, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells. Now please notice this phrase that Paul ends verse 9 with. He says, in bodily form. So we have deity, and then we have humanity. Now, why does Paul include that? Well, he does this to once again confront the false teachers who claim that Jesus Christ was never truly fully man. The Gnostics and the pre-Gnostics would say things like, he only appeared to be a man, but really he was just as the spirit being, a manifestation come from God. But Paul here explicitly states that Jesus Christ is the physical presence of God himself in bodily form. And so this verse becomes incredibly important to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Incredibly important. As we see here, his eternal deity was joined to his sinless humanity. As the incarnate Christ is both fully God and fully man. And before we move on, I want you to notice that word dwells here, as this is also an important word. Dwells in the Greek here is the word kaleo, and it means a permanent dwelling place. And you can really see, even in your English translation, it's in the present tense, dwells. Dwells, it's not will dwell or, or once dwelled, but dwells continually, permanently, eternally. That 2,000 years ago, through the incarnation, Jesus now and forever dwells in bodily form. That means that right now, as Jesus was raised from the dead in his albeit glorified body, that he is physically seated at the right hand on majesty on high, in heaven, in a glorified bodily form. While here on earth, he had a human body just as we do. We went through these scripturally last week. He was born of a woman. He grew in wisdom and stature of men. He hungered, he thirsted, he grew tired. He wept, he slept, and Jesus died. And this is why Jesus had to add sinless humanity to his eternal deity in order to die for us upon the cross and atone for our sins. And the reason why this is so important is, for one, God alone cannot die. And if he had only remained full deity as God, he could have never then paid the price for our sins. The wages of sin is what? Death. Only one in bodily form could be crucified and die upon Calvary's cross. And only if he's God does he have the authority to forgive sin. And so you see why these two truths are critically important. He was as human as you and I are human, yet he was without a sin nature because of the miraculous conception 
through the incarnation of Christ. And so, critically important that we know who Jesus Christ truly is. You have a different Christ. You have a different, um, you have a Christ you cannot save. Different gospel, different Christ. He is both fully God, fully man. And as 1 Timothy 3.16 says, great is the mystery of godliness, he who was revealed in the flesh. Well, Paul continued to build out this argument of the complete sufficiency there is in Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 10, and in him you have been made complete. Have been made complete is all one word in the Greek. It's the word pleureo, and it means to be filled. And the idea of it is to be filled so there's no room for anything else to be added to it. To be filled to the top so that nothing is lacking. Nothing needs to be added. And what Paul is saying is when you receive Christ by faith, you were made complete. And by the way, did you notice this is also in the perfect tense? And in him, you have been made. You have been made complete. This indicates a past action with continuing results into the future. At the moment of your conversion, you were made totally and complete in Christ. There's nothing more that needs to be added along the way. You didn't do anything to make yourself complete in Christ. You showed up empty-handed and Christ was added to your empty life. Now notice the contrast, the, the philosophy and the false teaching that is coming in in verse 8 is what? Empty, deceitful. But in contrast, Paul is talking about the fullness you have in Christ. And how in him you have been made complete. So, do you want what is empty and deceitful? Or do you want what is full and complete in Christ? You got it all the moment you received Christ Jesus as your Lord. Why would you go looking for anything but Christ? You have been made complete in him. And if you have Christ, you have everything that you need in every situation of life, whatever the challenge, whatever the battle, uh, whatever the difficulty, you have it all in Christ. This is the complete sufficiency of Jesus Christ. You have access to all joy, all love, all peace, all patience, all endurance, all mercy, all grace, all forgiveness, all power, all discernment, you have access to everything you need to live out your Christian life by faith. It's not out there somewhere in the, the mystical. No, he dwells right here inside of you. And that is to say that the fullness of God comes to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you what I mean by that. That means that positionally you have been made full, complete, that the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been imputed to us as believers in him. That every hell-deserving sinner who has repented and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ has the righteousness of Christ. And all of that fullness imputed upon them so that when God looks at Nick, God does not see the hell-deserving sinner that Nick is in and of himself. But that when God looks at me, God sees the perfect 
righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul means by that. In him, you have been made complete. The ESV translates that you have been filled in him. In other words, there's no room for anything else to be added to it. We have received all his fullness. John 1 verse 16 says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Well, as we continue in verse 10, man, it just keeps getting better. For since Christ possesses all the fullness of deity, Paul also adds, he is the head over all rule and authority. And again, Paul makes clear here that Christ was not just one of these series of lesser spirit beings emanating from God as these false teachers maintain, but rather he is God himself and thus the head over all rule and authority. And clearly, as it says in the text, it speaks to all rule and authority. But I think here Paul does have in mind more of the spiritual realm or the angelic realm more specifically. And as the head over all rule and authority, Christ is the sovereign. Everyone, everything is subordinate and under Christ. There's only one at the head, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And last week we went into a lot of detail as to how this is connected to the angel worship that's mentioned down in verse 18. So if you want to study that further, it's all on the recording from last week's sermon. But suffice to say, it's why Paul has to stress here in verse 10 that in Christ you have been made complete. He is the head and the authority over all the angels. Why would you get caught up on the angels when you should be caught up in Christ? Get your eyes back on him. How often are we distracted by these, these things? Christ is sufficient. Christ is enough. Christ alone is all that you need. He's sovereign over all of it. That's what Colossians 1, 15 through 20 was all about. All things have been created through him and for Christ. So keep your eyes on him. Well, this leads us to our, our second point. And in the rest of our verses this morning, Paul is going to tell us what the definition of this completeness is. And in verses 11 through 12, we see a complete salvation, a complete salvation. Now, the rest of these verses will be very instructional for us because I found that very few Christians understand biblically what actually happened to them the moment that they were saved. I know I didn't shortly after I was saved. And, you know, I think a lot of times we just think we reached out by faith and accepted the gift of salvation and we don't really stop and think and, and consider about what God actually did, that he actually did something in you that you alone could have never done. And from that moment on, your life was changed for all eternity. We could spend months on these verses, so I'd encourage you to dig into these deeper at home. And, and really what you should do is, is get out two Bibles, and I would suggest to take out one Bible and open it to these verses, Colossians 2, 9 through 15, and then put your second Bible beside it and use it as your commentary and use Romans chapter 2 through Romans chapter 8. 
and you'll find it a very fruitful study, and you could be in that study for years. But let's get back to our verses. Notice what Paul says as he continues in this thought of completeness in Christ in verse 11. He writes, And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now last week we talked about the old covenant sign of circumcision. It was required under the Mosaic law that on the eighth day a baby boy would be circumcised as an outward sign of the covenant between God and his people Israel. And to summarize, it was essentially an outward sign of, for God's people that signified that they had been cut off, that they had been set apart unto God. And like most of the um, Old Testament uh, signs, they pointed ahead to a New Testament spiritual reality that today we need a circumcision of the heart. We need our heart of stone um, cut out from us and a heart of flesh put back in. And the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel makes several references to the new heart. This wasn't foreign to the Old Testament. This was just progressive revelation to come. Um, you can put in your notes, in your notes, check out Ezekiel 18.31, of course, Ezekiel 36. Um, but in Ezekiel 11.19, God says through the prophet, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit. I will put within them, that I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. In uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, he prophesies about a time in the future when God will make a new covenant with his people. And at that time, God says in verse 33, I will put my law within them and on their hearts. I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord, for I will forgive them their iniquity and their sin, and I will remember no more. And so this has always been God's plan of salvation. It's the progressive progression of his revelation as time goes, and the sovereign hand of God progressively re reveals himself. And when the fullness of time had come, the Son of God comes to the earth, dies for our sins, rises from the dead, the New Testament canon is written, declaring all these wonderful truths about who God is and, and what God has accomplished. And then with the word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, it must be then wielded by the Holy Spirit as it must pierce your heart and cause a, a heart wound of conviction of sin. For with the heart a person believes and is within this spiritual um, cutting away that God implants in you a new heart with new affections for the things of God. But you might be asking yourself, why is Paul bringing up circumcision here? And again, the answer is because this is in response to these false teachers who had come in, and not only were they teaching philosophy and um, angel worship, but it was also combining elements of Jewish ceremonial and dietary laws. And we see this kind of teaching being constantly refuted all throughout the New Testament. For example, in Acts chapter 15, this had become such a threat to the church and such a problem that the apostles and surrounding church leaders all go to Jerusalem. They have this huge meeting with the, the, these Judaizers 
to make a clear decision on this once and for all, because these guys were saying things like Acts 15.1, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so Paul has to address this here with the Colossians also. In verse 10 he says, you have been made complete in Christ. You have been filled in him. And then in verse 11 he says, and in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In other words, you've already been circumcised. You've had the, the true circumcision we read about in Philippians 3.3 last week of the heart. And then notice in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In a physical circumcision, the tip of the flesh is cut off in the spiritual circumcision of Christ. You have also had a cutting that takes place that removes part of your flesh, your, your sin nature. The NIV 84 does actually a great job translating verse 11. They translate it like this. In him you were also circumcised in putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. And so what Paul is saying is when you were spiritually circumcised in the new birth, there was a removal of the body of the flesh. And what he's referring to here is our sinful nature, our sinful flesh, which, yes, we, we still wrestle with, but is no longer the dominating, driving power in our lives that it once was. There was a time in our life when we did whatever we wanted however we wanted to do it. And our sinful nature was in the front seat steering us. And when we were spiritually circumcised, that sin nature was, was cut out and put into the back seat. And now Christ is steering our lives. We still have a sinful flesh, but it's no longer the dominant force that it once was in our life. And so the sin nature in you has been cut from its ruling power. Christ now is your ruling power and the power of sin has been subdued. Paul says in Romans 8, 12 through 14, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. And so to summarize, verse 11, Paul affirms their salvation is complete. They don't need these false teachers for in Christ, they have already received a circumcision in the removal of the body of the flesh. That, that ruling power of their sin nature cut off, power of sin subdued in their life, this circumcision was not achieved by man. It was made without hands by the circumcision of Christ. And so this is a picture, a um, shadow, a sign as circumcision looked ahead to the, the reality of the spiritual surgery we all needed by the great physician, by his grace, to get that heart of stone cut out, be given a heart of flesh, for as God said, I will put my spirit within them and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. All right.
Well, this spiritual imagery continues in verse 12 as Paul refers to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection in another picture that has a spiritual reality and that is found in baptism. Notice verse 12. Paul writes, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, I don't know if you notice this or not, but if you look at verses 9 through 14, notice how many times Paul has us in union or abiding in Christ. Look at the beginning of verse 9, in him. Verse 10, in him. Verse 11, in him. Verse 12, twice, with him, with him. Towards the end of verse 13, together with him. What's he saying? Well, he's referring to the union we have with, with the Lord. We have been buried with him in baptism into his death, burial, and resurrection. But how do we have that? How do we have that union with Christ when he died, was buried, and raised from the dead some 2,000 years ago? Well, he tells us how in verse 12. Through faith in the working of God. This word working in the Greek is the word energia, in which you can guess our English word energy comes from. It refers to God's active power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And this same spiritual baptism is what Paul writes about in Romans chapter 6. In fact, I often read this at our baptism as this is a picture not so much of a water baptism, but of our spiritual union with Christ, pictured in the baptism of dying to self, being buried in the water, and then rising to new life in Christ. Notice what it says in Romans 6, 3. Or, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Notice what he says in verse 5. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection knowing this, that our old self, now what is our old self? That's our old sinful nature that was cut off by the circumcision of Christ. So knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin, there it is, might be done away with so that we would no longer be, notice, slaves to sin. We still have sin in our lives, but we are no longer slaves to sin. Verse 7 for he who has died is freed from sin. Okay, so this is the death of your old self uh, that was crucified with Christ in order that our body of sin might be done away with. But now, verse 8, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. 
but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so, verses 11 and 12 are these beautiful pictures of what God has done to save you. In verse 11, you received a spiritual circumcision of the heart. He removed the heart of stone. He put it in the heart of flesh. He cut away the power sin had over you in the putting off of the sin nature, all done by the circumcision of Christ. Then in verse 12, you were buried with him in baptism. Romans 6.3 told us that means all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. And there we see our union with Christ pictured in our physical baptism as we are buried. The old man of sin goes down. Romans 6, 6 says, as we're, as we're dying with Christ, dying to that old self, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. It's going down, dead and buried so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin. We died with Christ. If you are in him, the old self is gone. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm gone. I have died, and it's pictured in this baptism. Christ pays the wages of our sin. He removes the power of sin that had over us. And then Colossians 2.12 ends with, You were also raised up with him through faith, in the working of God. And this is pictured when we see the believer raised up out of the water, washed clean by, not the water, by the blood of Christ in the working of God. By the same power, it says, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Just a tremendous, tremendous truth. And so that was point number two in our complete salvation in Christ. Let's go on to Point number three, in our complete forgiveness in Christ. Our complete forgiveness in Christ. Here Paul approaches the same truth as he discussed in verses 11 and 12, but from a different perspective. In verses 11 and 12, he emphasized our salvation is complete apart from any religious ritual, circumcision, baptism, what have you. Verses 13 through 14, his emphasis is that forgiveness is complete apart from any human work. So notice verse 13. Paul writes, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Now here, Paul's taking them back to before their conversion, and he's reminding them the details of their depravity, who we once were. And beloved, these verses apply to all of us as this is the spiritual condition of every single individual outside of the grace of God. In fact, we see our spiritual condition in the first line in verse 13. This is who we once were. He says, you were dead in your transgressions. That word dead here in the Greek is uh, necros, and it, and it means like unresponsive, lifeless, dead, dead, useless. 
It refers to a life untouched and disconnected from God. It's the same word used in Ephesians 2 when Paul goes into further detail of our spiritual condition as we are separated from Christ. This is the condition we are born into. In Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 1, he writes, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Notice he does not say you're just a little bit sick. He does not say that you were doing, well, you know, pretty good on your own. You just needed a little nudge in the right direction. No, he says you were dead in your sins. Then he goes on to explain it in verse 2, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, there it is, our nature, children of wrath, even as the rest. This morning, if you are not washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, if you have not received the circumcision of Christ upon your heart, if your uh, heart has not been convicted concerning sin, righteousness, and, and God's judgment, if you have not received His mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, if you have not been born again, if this, in Ephesians 2, is your spiritual condition, dead in your trespasses and sins, and are ruled by the uncircumcision of your flesh, and by nature are children of wrath, even as the rest, you have a serious problem. That's our natural state. We were born spiritually dead, without hope and without God. But do you know what God does for those who mourn their dead, sinful condition? And who by grace hear His word and come to Him by faith? God graciously forgives all of it. All of it. Paul describes this miracle to us in the second half of Verse 13, chapter 2, verse 13 of Colossians, when he says, God, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us. What is that word? Some, all our transgressions. This is the miracle of the new birth. He takes that which is dead and God makes you alive together with Christ. In fact, that's what Paul says right where we left off in Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to what he says in verse 4. He says, but God, but God, after Paul writes all that about being dead in our transgressions and sins, walking according to the course of this world, we were by nature children of wrath. Paul says, but God, God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ 
Jesus. Because our God is so rich in mercy and loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. And as a result of being made alive with Christ, the end of verse 13 says, believers have been forgiven of all their transgressions. Not most of our sins. Not some. All. Complete forgiveness in Christ. How about just a couple more verses to drive this truth home in case you're not quite certain. How about Isaiah 1, 18? You all know this one. Come now. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Again, complete forgiveness. Listen to Paul preach in Acts 13, 38 through 39. As complete forgiveness is presented. He says, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, through Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things. Some things? All things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. I love this right here. Complete and total forgiveness. Instantly, the moment they believed, they were freed from all the things from which you could not be freed from yourself through any work of the law. That is forgiveness that is complete apart from any human work. All of grace. All of grace. Let it wash over you, brother. All right. Let's keep moving. Paul illustrates God's forgiveness for us in, in yet another incredible way. Notice verse 14. He's, he's really turning it on now. He canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. And let's just stop right there for a moment. I want you to look at two key words here in the Greek in which the whole idea here hinges on. And I want you to see the, the picture that Paul is painting. The first one comes from this term, the certificate of debt. All right? It's the Greek word. Oh, let's try this one. Share. I had it this morning. Sharoganophon. Sharoganophon. Which its literally meaning is either a bond or it's a legal document that's written out. The technical use of this word is really interesting. It is a handwritten note of a debtor acknowledging his debtness. Uh, it's like an IOU. I, Nicholas Davis, owe you a thousand bucks. All right? And then you would sign your name down on the bottom, Nicholas Davis. And, and so in context, at the end of verse 13, Paul says he has forgiven us of all our sins, having canceled out the certificate of debt. That's our signed confession of sin that had piled a massive debt unto God, correct? We owed God for that. And then Paul describes that certificate as consisting of decrees against us. And this word for decrees is the word dogma, 
which means an edict or an ordinance, or in this context here, it could be the Mosaic law. So here's the picture of Paul's painting. We owe God a debt, a massive debt, a debt we could never pay. And all of our sins were written out on this certificate of debt, line by line by line, consisting of every decree against us. That is every sinful thought, every sinful word, every sinful deed. Now Paul says this certificate was hostile to us. And what Paul means is there was enough to condemn us to hell. We stood before God having broken his law. And when his gavel came down, we were found guilty, guilty, guilty. And that's where we were, dead in our trespasses and sins but God but God God did not leave us there did he verse 14 says that Christ canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us now this phrase cancel out is our second keyword in this text and this is the Greek word ek salepo and it means to wipe off to erase it means he literally wiped it off imagine a chalkboard he wiped it all off and beloved this is the complete forgiveness we have in christ the day you received christ jesus by faith and came to him broken over your sin and you signed that certificate of debt consisting of the decrees against you that were hostile to you condemning you to death Jesus Christ took your certificate. He canceled it, wiped it clean. How, you ask? He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to what? The cross. The cross. And you know what's left? Not one trace. Not one trace. He remembers it what? No more. Complete. Forgiveness, he casts all our sins, Micah 7, 19 says, into the depths of the sea. The wonder of that kind of grace. How awesome is our God? Let's move to the final point. As we have seen complete sufficiency in Christ, complete salvation in Christ, complete forgiveness in Christ, and then number four, our complete victory in Christ. Our complete victory in Christ. This is awesome. This is awesome. Notice verse 15. Paul writes, And when he, Christ, had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Did you know that when the Lord Jesus Christ died upon the cross that he disarmed Satan? Literally, this word means stripping him. And the rulers and authorities who are the fallen angels of demons. And he made a public display of them having triumphed over them through him. Where was it that Jesus bruised the head of Satan at? The cross. Where was it that he took away his power of death? At the cross. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2, 14 through 15. A fantastic Verse, 
It says, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he, Christ himself, likewise also partook of the same. In other words, since we as God's children have flesh and blood, Jesus Christ also added to himself humanity. That through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. So you see, Satan's dominion was disarmed at the cross. Christ stripped him powerless over death. Death is the wages of our sin, but Christ takes our sins out of the way, canceling our certificate of debt as he himself bore our sins in his body on his tree, having nailed it, Paul says, to the cross. And then notice what Paul says next at the end of verse 15. He sees the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, not as a helpless victim, but as the victor. And he writes, he, Christ, made a public display of them, having triumphed over them. As Christ was suspended on that cross, you know, Bible says that there were those who were passing by, hurling insults at him, wagging their heads and fingers and saying, ha, ah, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from that cross. And in the same way, the chief priests and scribes walked by mocking him. He saved others. Let him save himself. And there's no doubt that Satan and all of his demons were celebrating as they watched the Son of God suffer, nailed hand and foot to that cross as he hung dying in apparent defeat. I don't know how many of you know this, but there's a little verse tucked in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 8 that says, None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That is 1 Corinthians 2, 8. Because you see, Satan and his demons had been trying to kill the Lord Jesus Christ for years. But how wrong they were, as this was always the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. He was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. This was God's plan of redemption all along. And so as Jesus Christ hung on the cross and paid for our sins as the perfect sacrifice, atoning for sins, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. And then what did Jesus say? It is finished. And as 1 Peter 3, 18 through 19 tell us, Christ was put to death in the flesh. That was his humanity. But he was made alive in the spirit. And do you guys remember when we went through 1 Peter, where the spirit of Christ went? Let me read it to you. 1 Peter 3, 19, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Long story short, those were the demons, I believe, who have been locked up since the time of Moses, or Noah, in Genesis chapter 6, and have been locked away in gloomy chains of darkness. And I think they thought Satan was letting them out. 
And, but instead, the king of kings showed up and he made proclamation to them. He preached them a sermon. And God only knows what he preached. But I like to think that Jesus said something like what he said in Revelation 1, verse 18. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Nick translation, I win, you lose. And he must have slammed that cold, dark door on them. And they thought they were getting out. Bah, 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 bah. And then Christ rose from the dead. He was not sent down to hell and judged and kept down there and tortured. Christ was victorious. This was the plan. And so what do we see then at the cross? He had disarmed the rulers and authorities. He made a public display of them. He triumphed over them. I would say a complete victory, yeah? And I tell you, this is the only message of hope this world has. It's the only message. It's the only one. To be united with Christ is to be freed from Satan's dominion of sin and of death. What does the death of Christ bring? Transformation, pardon, victory. And that adds to up to complete salvation, complete forgiveness, and complete triumph that can only be found in Jesus Christ. It's no wonder, Paul said, may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I hope the word of the Lord has blessed you today. If you are in need of prayers, I want to invite you to please come forward. This time I want to invite you to please stand. I think the praise team has one more song to praise the Lord with. Thank you. <laughs>